0: morning. Man, there's nothing that, that gets you ready to preach a sermon like uh, a great song that, that, that works in your heart. So thank you, praise team, for, for doing that. Praise the Lord. You know, I uh, uh, spoke at Muskingum Christian Fellowship this last Wednesday and loved it. And, and as I was reflecting or reflecting on uh, just different conversations I've had with college students over the years, Uh, I realize I've never met a college student who didn't like a good debate, especially if they were like a religion major or philosophy major, okay? Did I just condemn anyone in this room? That's okay. Uh, Part of it is that they're now on their own, right? They're not under the wing of mom and dad, and so they like to flex their muscles a little bit. Uh, But college students are like all of us too, right? They like to be right. And so when another student who also only sees things as black and white, says something as hugely opposite as someone else, well, it's sometimes fun to join in and see who, who's actually right. I don't actually really like those things very much. Uh, I remember one time in seminary, these two guys were debating about whether it was a sin to step on a Bible. And so I thought that was so dumb, I decided I was going to walk past them and I put my Bible behind one of them and then walked back and shoved one of them and so he stepped on my Bible. I told him to go study and repent. Uh, so I, I, they, I, just, I, wanted, I just wanted wanted to stop arguing. Uh, but what happens when the topic of debate has major consequences? What happens when getting it wrong isn't just I lost an argument but has eternal consequences? consequences. Uh, That's essentially what we see in our passage this morning, that if we get Jesus wrong, it's not so much about a debate that we miss out on as it is salvation itself. And so the question for us today is, will we get Jesus right? Let's see how, how this passage instructs our hearts together. So remember, we are back into the Gospel of Mark. By the way, I'm not sure if you guys realize this or not. This is the last fall that we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark for probably a long time. Okay, so every single fall since since I've been here, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. And so we are now at a point to where we are going to finish it before Advent season. Okay? So think about where we are in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 12. This is the last week of Jesus' life before he's betrayed, before he goes to the cross, before he makes payment for our sin, and before he's raised to new life on the third day. And the Gospel of Mark, remember, is written by a guy named Mark. It's not about Mark. It's about the life and ministry of Jesus. And one of the big themes in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who will reign in God's kingdom and rescue God's people from sin. And so that's what we actually see is kind of the big idea of this morning also. Uh, But we have a verse of the series that we're working on that's going to help us understand the Gospel of Mark as we go through it. And so that is Mark 14, Verses 24 and 25, it's a little bit longer, but I feel like it's so familiar to us who've been in church for a while, this should be something that we want to be able to have rolling off our tongue fairly quickly. So let's say that together. Let's say Mark 14, 24 to 25. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of god of course this is jesus at the last supper uh preparing for his death and for his resurrection let's pray for our time in god's word lord we do ask this morning that you would help us to not just know some things about jesus and then to glaringly miss major other things but to get jesus right And Lord, we pray then that by understanding and getting Jesus right, that that would then live itself out in right living. And so God, we pray this morning, not just for an intellectual exercise, we pray that what we would learn about Jesus would translate into transformed lives. And Lord, we know that we need your spirit to do that. We need your spirit to open our eyes. We need your spirit to soften our hearts and we need your spirit to strengthen us to live out the kingdom of God. So Lord, help us to do that this morning. Help us not to have an intellectual exercise. Help us to be transformed through Mark chapter 12. When we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here is the big idea uh, that I want you to have even as we engage in God's word. This is is where we are going, that if you have to leave early for work, if you have something else going on, we want you to walk away with this, that this is what you're committed to as you walk out those doors. Here's the big idea this morning. Live for the advancement of Jesus, not the advancement of yourself, because the Messiah has been given all authority. Live for the advancement of Jesus, not the advancement of yourself because the Messiah has been given all authority. And so we're going to look at uh, Mark 12, verses 35 through 40, really just in those two sections, 35 through 37 and 38 through 40 together. Let me read this first part. Mark writes, beginning in verse 35, and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself In the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So, how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So, let's look at how Jesus is the Lord of David. You know the end of the passage last week ended with no one daring to ask Jesus any more questions uh, but Jesus's goal isn't for people to stop asking questions but for people to understand who he is and for others to be part of the kingdom of God and so while Jesus had been tested and was victorious well no one dared to ask him any more questions it was the, it was time for Jesus now to advance the field It wasn't the end of the questions. Jesus didn't walk off the field a little bit bloody, a little bit battered. No, instead he took the field by asking one of his own questions. After a full day of being questioned comes the question of the day from Jesus. And so Jesus is in the temple, the center of religious life for Israel, publicly discussing what was already privately discussed with his disciples. Here it is. Who exactly is the Messiah? This is the same question Mark is trying to get us to understand in his entire gospel. The Messiah is David's son, but not only David's son, but also God's son. And so Jesus poses the question against the scribes, who then he'll condemn how they live in just a few verses down. And so he says in verse 35, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David. And where does Jesus go for the answer about the truth of the Messiah? The same place where we go to rightly understand God. Jesus goes to God's word. And he quotes Psalm 110 verse one. And did you notice what what Jesus said about that? For Jesus to not only quote David as an authority, but even to say that David spoke In the Holy Spirit means that not only David is speaking, it is God speaking through David. And Jesus is affirming that. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And and why is that important for us this morning? Well, because if it were only a human document, that would give options for errors. For example, what if David was wrong when he said that? Or what if David just misspoke? No, but Jesus is actually affirming that David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was authoritative information to understand who the Messiah is. And so anytime we are wondering about God, anytime we are wondering, you know, uh, what is it exactly we should believe and understand about God so that, so that we know how to rightly live, the Bible is our source for truth. And what does Psalm 110 say? It says this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so in Hebrew, uh, Lord is used, uh, two different words are describing that to to describe really two different people. Okay? So so it's a little bit hard for us to see in English, but here's essentially what's happening. Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, declared to Adonai, my Lord. Okay, so the first Lord refers to God, and the second Lord refers to the King or to the Messiah. And so Psalm 110 is referencing the Messiah whose kingdom would not fail, the things we've already been singing about and reading about this morning. And so Israel was looking for the Messiah, a king from David's lineage, to restore an earthly kingdom. And so if David, who wrote Psalm 110, if he said, the Lord God said to my Lord Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet, then what's actually happening here is that the Messiah... Is not just a descendant of David, he's actually superior to David. That's essentially what, what Jesus' argument is. The Messiah is superior to David, not merely a descendant of David, as Judaism popularly understood. Because how could David, the honored ancestor, possibly call his descendant, the Messiah, my Lord? and give him a superior position. It would be impossible unless the Messiah was more than human and therefore far superior in his an- than his ancestor. So Yahweh grants to David's Lord an exclusive place of honor at his right hand. Well, friends, Jesus is the only one who sits at the right hand of god and so jesus's point in our passage isn't to deny the messiah being a descendant of david right that's super clear in all sorts of other scriptures no the old testament calls the messiah a branch of david the king who will rule over israel is expressly called the son of david Think, think just a couple chapters earlier. I know it was like a year ago, but in Mark chapter 10 with blind Bartimaeus and he hears Jesus is walking by and do you guys remember what Bartimaeus says of Jesus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the issue at stake here is that the Messiah isn't only a son of David, but is also truly God the son. And so Peter quotes this very same passage in his famous sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and he says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So the Bible is addressing the question uh, that that I speak with college students every single semester. Is Jesus divine or only human? Peter says clearly that Jesus is fully a descendant of David and more than just human. And the scriptures affirm that also. And so this phrase that we see in our passage this morning, until I put your enemies under your feet. Well, friends, that's that's also quoted in our scripture reading this morning of Hebrews chapter one, describing Jesus's superiority and authority even over the angels. Or remember what Paul says about Jesus in Ephesians one. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all or if we had continued to read the 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 book of hebrews and had just gone to hebrews chapter 2 it says this now in putting everything in subjection to him talking about jesus now in putting everything in subjection to jesus he left nothing outside his control should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the Messiah will be recognized as the descendant of David, but he will surpass David's lineage. The Messiah's status is that he will sit at God's honored and authoritative right hand. So brothers and sisters, this morning, embrace The real, biblical Jesus. People, it seems, today are are more able to accept Jesus as a great person, or Jesus as a wonderfully moral person. But friends, that's not the picture that the Bible presents or describes of Jesus. Jesus is a son or a descendant of David, but he has surpassed David's lineage by his divine lordship by his divine sonship. And so to make Jesus only a person is to reject the Jesus of Scripture. To miss on this point is to have a partial truth, but to not have salvation. A partial Jesus, apart from the full gospel truth, doesn't save. And so if Jesus isn't also divine, then we could not be saved. Only divine God could take fully the wrath of divine God against our sin. And so the reason why Jesus was given the right hand of the Father is because Jesus did just that. Because Jesus took on the full wrath of God against sin. Jesus, the Messiah, sits at the right hand of God because he died to rescue sinners. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, being fully human and fully divine, came to earth as the Messiah to rescue us from the slavery of sin. He rescued us by dying on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead, showing his defeat of sin and death. And so we need to embrace the biblical Jesus. We need to embrace the good news for all humanity and for us personally. Because, friends, it is not just a nice thing that Jesus was a moral teacher, he rescued a people who were desperately enslaved people who could not get to God on our own, people who had made a mess of our lives and Jesus came in and rescued us. It's the greatest news ever. When people heard it in Acts chapter two, 3,000 souls were saved and then they got baptized. Maybe, friends, this morning, it is a message that you've heard but not yet embraced. And so maybe maybe you have been saved, actually, but haven't obeyed the Lord's command in, in baptizing and publicly proclaiming that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe you need to hear this this morning, that Jesus, fully human and fully divine, leads the church, his body, and we are called to follow him. We're not called to just simply acknowledge an intellectual idea about Jesus. We are called to follow Jesus. And so Jesus, who's the head of the church, has established ways for his people to follow him in ways that live out exactly his commands. That's why we exist as a church. So let us follow Jesus together. Jesus saying these things, of course, upset the scribes to really to have their ignorance exposed, that they taught that the Messiah would honor the royal family of David, but they failed to teach that the Messiah would honor the Messiah himself being the son of God, David's Lord. So they were more upset towards Jesus But the crowds, right in verse 37 of our passage, they heard him gladly. Friends, don't forget what the descriptions of the New Testament describe of Jesus' teaching. Remember at the end of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, it says this, And when Jesus finished teaching these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Paul summarizes this very thing Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so friends, if we want to have a right understanding of Jesus, and if we want to follow Jesus, we must see him both as the descendant of David and as his divine sonship, God the Son. We as Christians are servants of God who sent his only son, Jesus, born as a descendant of david but is god the son who came to die for sinners and to be raised on the third day so let us embrace the biblical true jesus and follow him so we need to live for the advancement of jesus not the advancement of ourselves because the messiah has been given all authority Let's look at this next section, verses 38 to 40. Mark records this. And in his teaching, speaking of Jesus again, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Friends, let's look at this warning to beware of this condemnation. We can be certain that when we see wrong living in one another's lives, in our own lives, it is actually connected to wrong believing. Our actions are never separate from our beliefs. We do what we do because we want what we want. And we want what we want because of what we believe and what we live for, what our treasure is. So not only when Jesus exposed the wrong beliefs of the scribes, it is right that then Jesus continues and rejects the wrong living that was connected to it. And so in Jesus' last teaching in the temple, Jesus pushed back against the scribes' wrong teaching about the Messiah and how the scribes lived. So it was common for scribes to seek public recognition by what they wore and the places that they would go. They tried to appear very great. They were dressed in very distinguished cloth uh, that showed themselves to be, you know, men of wealth. Men of prestige in order to be seen. Think of of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where, where the priest sees the person in need and instead crosses the street to avoid him. The scribes were not really interested in seeing the needs of others, they aimed to advance themselves. They coveted applause and enjoyed it, they loved being seen in the marketplaces. It's so, all right. Anytime a scribe would walk down the street uh, or pass through the marketplace, uh, it was customary for everyone who was around them to, to pause what they were doing and to rise and give them honor. They desired to leave an impression while advancing themselves. So, sorry, rap music, but bling isn't new, uh, it's been blindly fake for a long time. Okay, the scribes wanted to dress to impress. The best places to sit in the synagogue, which were along the wall, which faced the congregation that would sit in the middle of the synagogue, these were the best seats, and they were reserved for teachers and persons of rank and people who could afford such a high position. Scribes tried to enrich themselves. Right our passage talks about how they devoured widows houses. So scribes made themselves masters uh, of these widows estates uh, by some trick or some other means and as lawyers they would pretend to be pious while robbing and exploiting widows. In fact at, at this time there was a well-known scandal uh, of, of this scribe who interpreted the law and persuaded this, this high-standing woman named Ful, uh, Fulvia to make this large gift to the temple in Jerusalem only for the plan to be for this large gift to be embezzled by that scribe. Okay, so, so when, when Jesus is saying this, boy, everyone knows the talk on the town of what, was, what had already happened. They knew the corruption that was going on. Scribes would appear very good. They'd do things to be seen, but for no real spiritual benefit. Even when they prayed. Do you notice what the passage says? They did it as a pretense or to look spiritual, not because they were actually praying, casting their cares upon God those who rejected God's kingdom were teachers of the law who loved power and position and wealth and they made an outward show of religion but they gobbled up the property of helpless people like widows. Right, we just finished the section last Sunday of loving our neighbor as ourselves. A clear commandment and yet some people harm others rather than helping them. True devotion to God includes a concern for the poor and the foreigner. The scribes used religion both as a means and justification for their harm. And so there are many, there's many who do that today. It's, It's not something of the past only. There are people today who take advantage of others to promote themselves, claiming you will get rich too if you just sow the seed of faith called money, into their ministry in 2019. BBC BBC News did a new segment on prosperity preachers who were getting, the the segment was called this, prosperity preachers getting rich off of poor Americans. They explicitly link wealth and religion. Some of those leaders uh, of prosperity theology, Oral Roberts, A.A. A. Allen, Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, Kenny Hagen. They are not promoting the kingdom of God, but promoting themselves. Because in their minds, there is great money to be made in ministry. Probably really similar to what the scribes said. But did you notice that Jesus isn't just condemning the scribes? He's warning the people not to be like them too so friends hear the warning from jesus this morning beware of putting on a show wrong believing leads to wrong living we are susceptible of doing the same things and it's important to recognize that people aren't always okay even when they have tons of smiles on Sunday mornings here. We need to recognize that simply being up front or having a position doesn't automatically equate to kingdom living. When we promote ourselves, it is the opposite of the kingdom of God and we can be certain that we are therefore not living for the kingdom of God. The scribes who were to teach people about the kingdom of God promoted themselves and rejected the Messiah himself. The scribes who went to the synagogue, not for the worship of God, but to be seen in honor, were promoting themselves, not the kingdom of God. And so when they prayed, they prayed not as an abundance of their hearts, but as a pretense. Friends, is our worship of God on Sunday mornings a pretense to be seen or an overflow of of our hearts do we promote ourselves or the kingdom of god through our lives friends as christians we don't want to promote ourselves because our identity is not our own our identity is hidden in christ which gives us a new family in the kingdom of god And so we don't need to take advantage of others because we've received an abundance of love from God. We can genuinely love others and not take advantage of others. In fact, uh, Paul describes our position in Christ as God not being stingy toward us, but having lavished every spiritual blessing on us. Here's what he says in Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, God is not stingy towards us and so we do not have to take advantage of others. God has lavishly loved us and therefore we can pour out love towards others. We can genuinely love others, not take advantage of them. And so, brothers and sisters, let God's love in our life in, be an overflow in our actions and our motivations, in our treatment of one another. Do you notice why Jesus says in verse 38, beware of the scribes? He calls out the warning because of the very last thing in our passage. They will receive the greater condemnation. The judgment of Jesus on those who practice religion for the purpose of self-advancement is blunt and stern. They will be severely punished. The punishment will show that they indeed actually loved themselves more than God or others. They will show that they loved themselves most, and God the maker and sustainer of everything in the universe, the source of everything good is deserving of all worship and adoration and praise. And so to love ourselves more than him is nothing but a direct rebellion against God. And God promises that he won't stand for it. And so there's an important principle going on here. We have Greater responsibility for our lives the longer we walk with God. The more we know his word, the more we are acquainted with his ways, the more responsibility we have to live out what is right. The more that we know what is right and then fail to do it, the greater the punishment. Notice that Jesus says that they will receive the greater condemnation. Greater than whom? Greater condemnation or or judgment than those who would not presume to be teachers or those who would not presume to be leaders. That's why that warning in, in James is so helpful, that not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. So the same is true now for all who know the truth but decide to reject it. Jesus is no mere human. He is not simply a great moral teacher. He is God the Son, the Messiah, the rescue for sinners. Jesus is Lord of all. And now that we have heard that, we now all have the responsibility where rejecting that reality brings greater judgment. But receiving Jesus by faith and continually following him every single day brings new mercies Every single morning. So brothers and sisters, live for the advancement of Jesus, not ourselves. Because the Messiah has been given all authority. The Messiah sits at the right hand of the Father. The Messiah will have all of his enemies at his feet. The Messiah is not just a descendant of David. He is the Son of God. And he calls us to follow him. Not to know things about him. Not to win a debate about him. But to follow him with our lives. To cherish him with all that we are. To make Jesus the king of our lives. Not just Sunday morning. But then Monday morning. And Tuesday morning. And Wednesday morning. And Thursday morning. And Friday morning. And Saturday morning. Jesus is the Messiah whom we are to follow every day. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't just trying to win some debate in college. Jesus was pressing home that rightly understanding Jesus ought to lead to right living out of the kingdom of God. So how we treat others is a reflection of how we see God. Who we promote is a reflection of how we understand the kingdom of God and of Jesus the Messiah. So let us get Jesus right, and then let us live out the kingdom of God together for his glory, for his praise, not our own, not in some pretense, not in a way for us to be seen, not for us to have some sort of honor now, because friends, there is no servant who is greater than his master. And our master Jesus went to the cross, And if the world has rejected Jesus, we should not assume that they are going to love us. But we should follow him. Because as Peter said of the disciples, to whom else, where we go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus is our hope, not the world. So let us follow Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David, but God the Son. Let's spend a few moments responding to the goodness of God, the the reality of the Messiah, of the divine Sonship of Jesus. You are welcome to come and, and pray at the front here. You're welcome to respond right where you are, but respond to God today, asking God, what does it look like to follow you knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? And then I'll close this in prayer. The band will lead us in another song, but let's spend a few moments responding to him today. Heavenly Father, forgive us for knowing the truth about Jesus and failing to live out the kingdom of God. Father, forgive us for ever promoting ourselves above Jesus, ever living for our own kingdom and not for yours. God, we know that Jesus' kingdom is eternal. We know that he will reign forever. We know that he has all authority and power because he left the glory of heaven to come and die on the cross to rescue us. And so, God, you have made his name the name above every name. You have made it so that one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow before him. And so, God, help us to gladly bow now. Help us to gladly submit our very lives and all of who we are to promote King Jesus, the Son of David, and God the Son. Lord, help us to rightly know Jesus so that we will rightly live for him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.